this morning and turn with me to Colossians chapter 3 while you remain standing, if you're able. If you're worshiping with us online, we are so thankful that you are here and that you're a part of what we're doing. For those of you that are a part of Iron City, I cannot wait. Uh, until we can be together again. For some of you, maybe you stumbled into the service and you're trying to figure out what all these people are about. Well, let me just tell you up front, we are about Jesus and we believe that Jesus has been revealed to us through the Bible and we believe the Bible is sufficient. We believe the Bible is inerrant and we believe that the Bible helps us in all of our faith and practice and in every other area in which our lives need wisdom. And so, Please listen in and listen as though God is saying these words to us. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 3. We're actually going to be here for the next two weeks. Let's look at verses 12 through 17. We're going to be in this exact same passage the next two weeks. It says this. It says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray to the Lord together this morning. Heavenly Father, as we were singing that last song, I couldn't help but be overwhelmed by your faithfulness. Lord, I know what it is to sing those words, those words of you moving mountains, of those words of of you bringing transformation and healing into life and, and singing those words through desperate prayer. And Father, I know what it is to sing those same words through praise and celebration, having experienced the answer to those prayers. Oh God, you were faithful. God, you were faithful. You were faithful to every single one of your children, every single corner of the family, of the kingdom that you are building. And Lord, I know this morning that there are some that have come and they sing those words through desperate prayer, desperate for your intervention in their lives, desperate for your deliverance and healing in their lives, desperate that, Lord, you would bring a great change in circumstances and change in health and change in hardship. And yet, Lord, I know there are others who are here, oh Lord, and they sing it through celebration, having seen you work, having witnessed your power, having experienced your kindness. And so, Father, whatever walk we come from today, whatever circumstance we come from today, whatever heart and attitude and perspective is behind that song this morning, Lord, I pray that you would give us exactly what we need with both barrels from the gospel this morning. Father, my specific prayer for our congregation is is that we would become a congregation of connection, that we would connect with one another, that we would go deep with one another, 
that our relationships with each other would be important to us and significant to us. And I pray, God, that the Spirit would move through your word and open up our eyes and open up our hearts and that, God, you would literally transform the culture of Iron City Baptist Church to become a connection-first culture so that we have relationships in the faith together. We ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So one of the things that I've noticed, and honestly, one of the things that I've, I've noticed, not just about others, but about myself, is that you can begin to tell a lot about a person and about their associations, about their interests, about the things that they're, they're passionate about. You can tell a lot about these things, honestly, by how a person dresses. If you go into Regions Bank, and there's a guy in there, and he's wearing a camouflage shirt, and he's wearing a camouflage hat. And he, now, y'all, he's not in the woods. He's in the bank. The bank. What do you automatically know about him? Probably one of two things. He's either the bank robber, or he's a hunter, right? That, that, that he associates himself, that, that he, is, he is proud and excited to be recognized out in, among others as a hunter. What if you see somebody who is wearing skinny jeans, hipster boots, and a deep V-neck? Do you know who that is? That's a worship leader. You know what I'm talking There's a dress code. I don't know where it came from, but there's a dress code for worship guys. Right? You see a guy or a gal, and she's wearing a bandana and a leather vest. What are they? They ride motorcycles, right? They're all about the motorcycles. They, they identify with it. It's a hobby for them. It's a, it's a passion for them. It's, it's something that they, that they want to be associated with, right? You see a guy wearing brook shoes and short shorts and shaved arms. Who's that guy? He's either a runner or a cyclist, right? He's either a runner or a cyclist. Chris Connor knows exactly what I'm talking about. And, 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 and in public, not while he's running, okay? Not while he's cro doing cross country, not while he's in a 5K. He's wearing these things. He's associating himself with these things because that's how he likes to be recognized. It's part of his identity. It's, it's part of the way that he sees himself. As a matter of fact, I bet that most of you, if you think about the way that you dress and the way that you present yourself, for better or worse, you can look to your peer group and you probably dress like your peer group and you can look to your interests and hobbies and you probably dress like your interests and hobbies. It's how we associate ourselves. It's how we think about ourselves. Well, it's interesting because in our text this morning, Paul makes that association for Christians. He makes that association for Christians. And so what Paul says is he says that as a Christian, as someone who is identified with Jesus, someone who is to be known as, as being an associate of Christ, to be recognized with Christ, that there are some garments, there is some clothing that you are to put on. There are some things that you are to wear, and by wearing those things, the world recognizes you as someone who is in association with Jesus Christ. Now, if you remember back to what we said last week, what we said last week is that our vision as a church is to make maturing and multiplying disciples to the ends of the earth, right? That what we want to do is we want to make disciples that make disciples, and we want to do that here in Calhoun County, and we want to do that in, in Lots Creek and, and 
Salt Lake City and Ahwatip in Mexico and Swaziland and wherever else. God sends the membership of Iron City Baptist Church. He just sent Tina to Kuwait. Wherever we go, what we want to be about, the DNA that we want woven into the structure of our church is we want to be at a, a church that is making disciples that are growing in maturity and expanding the kingdom of Christ, maturing and multiplying wherever we go. But we said, looking at Acts chapter 4, that there's another way in which we could say that. There's another way in which we could phrase that. And it's like this, that what we want to do is we want to raise up a generation of Christians that are recognized by the world as having been with Jesus. We want to raise up a generation of Christians that is recognized by the world as having been with Jesus. And so what we did last week is we really started at the end of the process. We started at the end of the discipleship process. What we said about our discipleship process, Connect, Disciple, Go, that what that is meant to do is help us move every person toward that goal of being a maturing, multiplying disciple, of of helping forge your character and, and transform your life so that ultimately you are the kind of person that is recognizable to the world as being an associate of Christ, of of being a disciple of Jesus. And so we saw really the culmination of that as we talked about go, that, that really all of these things are aimed toward a particular end. And that particular end is that we would go and make disciples of, 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 of others. Remember what Jesus told us, what, he, what or Jesus called the disciples and he called us to, right? He said, follow me and I'll make you what? Fishers of men. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And so what we said was, is that you, if you are not a fisher of men, If you are not one who proclaims the gospel, if you are not one who lives boldly and proclaims proudly that Jesus is the only way to heaven, then you are unrecognizable as a disciple of Jesus. But what I want us to do this morning is I want us to go back to the beginning. Now that we know the goal, now that we know where we're aiming and where we're heading, I want us to go back to the beginning and see the steps that we can begin to take over the next two weeks so that we might end up there. Because what we find is, is that that is not the only way to recognize a disciple of Jesus from the Scripture. In fact, Jesus says it almost explicitly how we are to be recognized by the world as disciples of Jesus. Jesus in John chapter 13, just before the cross, he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you would love one another. Now, who's he, who, who is the one another in there? Because I think we miss this sometimes. And we, we think that the one another is all of mankind, all of humanity very often, I think. We, we think of one another. We might think of our unbelieving neighbor. We might think of the people that we work with. We might think of the, the extended family members that we have that are not so easy to love. And, and certainly God wants us to love all of those people. But when he gives this new commandment, that is not primarily what he's talking about. Primarily what he's talking about is the discipleship community. Primarily what he's talking about is the brothers and sisters of the faith in the local church. The way that we love one another. That we are to have a particular love for one another. We are to have a particular passion for each other. We are to be connected to each other so that, listen to what he says, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That, in other words, this is one of the primary ways that the world recognizes us as disciples of Jesus because of how we love each other, how we care for each other, how we minister to one another, how we sacrifice for each other, how we put ourselves last in our relationships with each other, how we're generous to each other. That this is a statement of what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus. 
that if we are not connected to each other, in other words, we can frame it up like this, if we are not connected to each other and deeply so, we are unrecognizable as a disciple of Jesus Christ. We are unrecognizable as a disciple of Jesus Christ. If we are not woven into the fabric of a local church, if we are not being ministered to in the local church and being, being part of ministering to others in the local church, if we are not hearing the word preached to us and singing the psalms, and we're going to see this even more next week, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs out loud to each other, if we're not doing that, then by the definition that Jesus gives us, we are unrecognizable as disciples of Jesus. So as a, as a staff, one of the things that we've been working on is really honing our process and clarifying in our own minds and in our own plans on exactly the best way of how we can achieve and attain this vision of making maturing and multiplying disciples to the ends of the earth. And as part of this, one of the things that we've recognized is, first of all, we have a deficit of connection in our church. We have a connection deficit. We, we, we've got to improve in the area of connection. We've got to connect more people, assimilate more people, love more people, help other people feel connection and build bridges. We, we've, we've got to do that. But as part of doing that, one of the things that we've done is we've created a definition for connection that we can kind of hang our hat on. Something that when we can say, is that person connected? We can go back to that definition and say, well, by our definition, yes, or by our definition, no. And the definition that we came up with is this, is that a person is connected when they recognize their local church as their family, a family that misses them when they're not there and that they miss when they're unable to attend. That's, that's a connection. A connection is, is when you begin to see your local church not as a place that you attend, not as a group that you gather with, but as a family that you're a part of a family that you're a part of, a family that you love, a family that you're committed to, a family that is committed to you and that loves you, that there is this, this mutually beneficial relationship in which you're growing in Christ and maturing in Christ and strengthening in Christ. Because that's what God's building, isn't it? God's building a family. Jesus came and he, he said, all who do my father's will are what? They're my brothers and my sister, my mother and my father. I, he, they're, they're, the church is intended to be a family of brothers and sisters, all united under a single head, bringing glory and honor to our Father in heaven. So the question is this morning, how is it that we can make these connections? How is it that we can love one another in the way that Jesus has called us to, in a way that makes us recognizable as Jesus' disciples here in the real world. And there's nothing that speaks to family like responsibility, right? Like when you're all, uh, when you, when you, if you go and you find my little girls, right, and, you, and, and some of your sons come over, Mason, Mike, I'm, I'm sorry about this. If y'all come over to my house, you know what they're going to do? They're going to play house. They're going to play house. And you know what happens when they play house? They give one another assignments. Usually it's my girls giving the boys assignments. The boys don't really want to do much, but they, 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 they play along. But the girls are giving this up because we understand that to be a part of a family is to ha bear responsibility to that family. It is to play roles in that family that are significant. It is to play roles that only you can really play in the life of that family. And so we come together as a church and part of our connection to one another are the responsibilities that we bear to each other. And so we're going to look at three different responsibilities. We're just going to look at the first one this week, and we're going to look at the next two next week. We're just going to look at the first one this week and the next two the next week. And so the first responsibility that I want you to see this morning is that we are responsible to show one another God's love. 
We are responsible in the church to show, to display, to demonstrate God's love to each other. If you'll notice in our text, uh, verses 12 through 14 is really going to be the main thrust of what we talk about this morning. And if you'll notice in verses 12 through 14 that they're really framed up in the context of God's love. All right, look at, look at verse 12 and see what I'm talking about. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and Beloved, compassionate hearts. These are the garments that you're supposed to wear to identify yourself as a disciple of Jesus. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. Now, if we were to break this down, I think this helps us really understand the thrust of what Paul is talking about. If we were to break down what those things that are that he says that we are before he tells us what to put on, it, it, it really frames up the rest of the verse. So chosen one, I think we should think about that as our adoption. Our adoption. We have been brought together into this family by the choice of God, that God has, has come and he has pursued us and he has, he has selected that we might be his children, his sons, his daughters, adopted into his family. Holy means what? It means to be set apart. That God has set us apart that we might be for his glory. He set us apart that we might be identified by his name. That wherever we go, we might be recognized as his children. That, that we might be a remnant in the midst of a decaying and rotting world that would bring light and glory into the midst of this world and glory and honor and admiration to the name of Jesus. Because we are holy. To be beloved means that we, to be beloved means that we are the object of his love. Do you know why God adopted you? Do you, do you know why God set you apart? God adopted you and he set you apart because he wanted you to know his love. Because he wanted you to be the object of his love, the object of his passion, the object of his affection. That, that God saved a church. God is building a family. God is bringing a family together because he wants that family to know how profoundly and how deeply, how overwhelmingly, how painstakingly he loves us. How deep, how rich, how wide, how wonderful his love is. Now notice what he says, as, okay? Put on then, as God's chosen one, as God's holy people, as God's objects of love, as his beloved, this is what you're supposed to put on. In other words, that, that this is what you've experienced, and because this is what you've experienced, this is what you're supposed to do. You see, what these things are supposed to be are a pattern to us. What God's love is for us is a pattern. That the way that God has loved us is intended to set a pattern for us in how we will love each other. That God has established a pattern by our adoption. God has established a pattern by calling and setting us apart. God has established a pattern by making us those who are impossible to love, those who are hard to love, the objects of his love. And by us doing that, he has established a pattern by which those who follow him, those who are associated with him, will follow in likeness. That we will love each other in the way that God has loved us. He continues on with this same pattern in verse 13. Listen to what he says. Bearing with one another, and if one has complaint against another, forgiving each other. And how are we to forgive each other? As the Lord has forgiven you. As the Lord has forgiven you. Again, this is a pattern, isn't it? That God says, you want to know how you're supposed to forgive each other? How have I forgiven you? 
How have I forgiven you? Do you want to know how you're supposed to care for each other? How have I cared for you? Do you want to know how patient you're supposed to be with one another? How patient have I been with you? How compassionate are you to be toward each other? Well, how compassionate have I been with you? That the pattern of love in the life of the church is God. That God, think about the responsibility that comes anytime the scripture says you are to do something as God has done for you. Think about that. And there's no singular thing that God says that we are to do for one another as God has done for us as there is forgiveness. Jesus does the same thing in Matthew chapter 18 when he tells the parable of of the wicked servant, right? He says, you are to forgive as God has forgiven you. That as the king has forgiven us of such an insurmountable debt, we should find it easy. We should find it natural. We, We should find it common that we would forgive one another of such smaller transgressions transgressions than that. And so what we have here is we have God establishing a pattern to what end? Check this out. To be bound together. To be bound together. He says in verse 14, and above all these, above all the garments, above all the ways that you emulate the Lord, and all the ways that you follow after the pattern of how God has loved you, before you put on compassion, before you put on kindness, before you put on meekness, before you put on humility, before you put on forgiveness, before you put on any of those garments, if you want to emulate the Lord, if you want to be recognizable as a disciple of Jesus, put on love. Put on love. And when you put on love, it's going to bind everything together in perfect harmony. That is, put on love and love will connect you together. Put on love and love will connect you together. Connection is not an Iron City idea, y'all. Connection is not a staff idea. It's not a Cody concept. Connection is built and woven into the very fabric of who the church is supposed to be. Connection is woven into the very fabric, not just of the church, but of the gospel. That the way the gospel brings us to to the Lord is intended to bring us together in the very same way. See, we we have to work it out in our minds exactly what that's gonna look like. It's very common today to build a church on preferences. That we can make our one of the ways that we can try to build connections in the life of our church is we can try to identify what the most common preferences are among our church, and we can try to group you up according to those preferences. We can group you up by your age demographic. We can group you up by what kind of music you like. We can group you up by what kind of preaching you like. We can group you up by what you want the, the dress code to look like. We can group you up by what kind of, uh, of, of trips you want to go on. We can try to group you up and then, according to those preferences, try to help you forge a bond together to build friendships together, to build, to build relationships with one another over the sake of those preferences. Another way that, uh, that's very common for us to do if you read a lot of church growth books is to, we could group you up according to, church, to personalities. That, that, in other words, one of the things that we could do, and, and look, I'm not saying these things have zero merit, okay? I don't want you to hear me say that. 
But, but one of the things that we could do if we wanted to help more connections is we could have a small group and we could have a, find a bunch of people that like to play Frisbee golf and we could have a Frisbee golf small group and you guys could go do those things according to your personality. We could have a deer hunting small group. And man, you go and you hunt deer together and you, you do all those fun things. We could have a cycling one. We could have a baking one. We could have a, 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 a mom's night out one. We, we, we could build small groups and we could try to forge connections over personalities, over interests, over, over things that you want to do. But y'all, that is a cheap substitute for what God has called us to be. In other words, what, the, what even modern church language is calling for us to do is to try to build connections with people that are like us, people that think like us, People that, that enjoy what we enjoy. People that want to go where we want to go. People that want to do what we want to do. But is that love or is that self-interest? See, I think the New Testament concept of love is the opposite of self-interest. The New Testament concept of love is a God who denied himself, stepped into the midst of this creation, and was crucified. And that's what we call love. That's what we call love. And I have made it my life's work until my dying day that what we are going to be is we're going to be a church that despite our backgrounds and despite our age differences and despite our worldview differences and despite all of the things that are intended to, to be obstacles to, the, to our unity and obstacles to our bonds with one another, that we are going to overcome every single one of those, not because we are good, but because we have been loved by Almighty God. And having been loved by Almighty God, we are content and to pursue loving each other in a like mind pattern that we are going to love one another and that love is going to bind us not our preferences our love is going to bind us not our personalities that the love that we have received from the Lord is going to flow through that through us and it's going to overcome all of the differences to bring together senior adults and young mamas to, to, to bring together those who prefer the music this way and those who prefer the music this way to, to, to bring together those who would rather stay home and those who would rather go. Those who like it quiet and those who like it loud. Because love, love is grander than all of those things. Because when you build a church based on preferences and personalities, you have built a church with inline fault lines that is destined to split apart. But when you build a church that is based on gospel love, when you build a church that is based on what God has done for us and what that love is now doing in us and through us, that, that is a bind that leads to perfect harmony. Perfect harmony. So the question becomes is if God is our pattern for love, how has God loved us? How has God loved us? And I want us just to look at three different ways that I think God has loved us that we see in our text. The first way that God has loved us in the way that we are to emulate, the way that we are to imitate in our lives is that God has loved us up close. God has loved us up close. Notice this. When he says, put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. Now, to be able to show someone compassion, what does that imply? It implies that you're close enough to know them, doesn't it? It, 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 it implies that you're close enough to know the situation that they find themselves in and to be able to, to be moved. Compassion, the, the word there is literally to be moved in your gut, to be moved in your bowels for someone that they might 
know something better, that they might be helped? Or what is it, how do you show someone kindness? Well, you have to be close enough to show someone kindness, don't you? What we see, in other words, in compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience is we see relational proximity. We see people that are intended to live together, to live closely with one another. Think about who our Savior is. Our Savior is the Word who became flesh and dwelt among us. Our Savior is Emmanuel, God with us. Our Savior is the one when he was leaving, said that he sent the Holy Spirit who would indwell us. He is the very same one who said, I will be with you to the very end of the age. He is the Savior, in other words, who doesn't minister to us and love us from the distance. He's not a Savior that loves us at arm's length. He's a Savior that came to us. He's a Savior that loves us up close and personally. But what I find is that many of us prefer church at arm's length. Many of us prefer church at a distance. We want a service that we can attend one time a week and leave anonymously. We, we, we want a, a, a good production that we can watch, but that we can leave without having to bear any of the responsibilities therein. We, we want the, the, the show. We, we understand the need to be fed the word. We understand the need to, to sing the songs. But what we're missing, what is making us unrecognizable as disciples of Jesus is that the connections therein are not optional. The connections are necessary if we are to emulate the way that he has loved us among one another. This is one of the concerns. And, and, and I'm going to say this because I think this is really important in the day that we're in. But if you're at home right now and you're at home because of COVID and or, or you're not sure about church and you're just tuning in, I want you to understand I'm not talking about this situation. I'm talking about a concern I have when this situation comes to a conclusion. This is why internet church is not a sustainable long-term way to be fed the word. This is why internet church is not a long-term way in which you can actively be a part of the body of Christ if the Lord has given you the physical help to make you able to come. Because on the internet, man, you're able to receive the word. On the internet, you're able to, to hear the exposition. You're able to hear the songs. But what you're missing, what you're missing, and here's what I know. So you at home, you know this better than anybody. You are hurting because of this. You are desperate because of it. You are longing to be with the fellowship of the church because on the internet, you can't be bound together in love in a way that you can see visually with your own eyes, that you can hear as the church is singing out the songs. And so it's a way that you can't see as people weep at the altar together. You don't get to have the conversations in the hallways. The church was always meant to love one another up close. Up close. That, that, that we were intended to come together in such a way that our personalities overlapped. To come together in such a way that our giftings overlapped. Come together in such a way where on your worst day I can encourage you and on my worst day you can encourage me. Come together so that we can celebrate together what God has done. So that we can celebrate together how God is moving among us. To celebrate together how God is working in the nations to build up his family. That The church was meant was meant to live in close proximity, so close that we have to be patient with each other, so close that we can show kindness to one another, so close that I can know or I can demonstrate humility or pride and you can help me grow in humility. 
that were intended to be bound together. And look, that, that is the vision of connection and community groups. Can I just say that? That's the, that's the vision. The, the vision is not content download, all right? Content download can be done on the internet. Content download can be done in your living room watching Charles Stanley. Content download is, is, is not, it's not that it's insignificant, it's that it's stopping short. It's not enough. That the reason that we gather together in these small groups is so that you can have a tribe of people to whom you can show kindness, to whom you can show compassion, to whom you, from whom you can receive compassion and receive kindness. It's so that you can be really known in the life of the believer and you can begin to show to them what it means to live out the love of God in the context of the local church. And so I'm calling on all of our Connection Group leaders that what we want is a word-centered fellowship, not a content download. We're going to be starting those groups back up in February. And what I would love is I would love that as we start those groups back together, that, that, that we would hear reports of how testimonies were being shared in those groups, about how struggles were being wept over together about how groups were stopping and they spent an entire, an entire hour just praying desperately, seeking the face of God for the good of a, church, of a member of that group that is struggling and having hardship. You want to know how, how deep your connections are in your groups right now? How well have they stayed in communication with one another since all of this has started? That'll tell you if your group is more about content or about connection. Because I'm telling you, content is good. What we say in the gospel is significant. Teaching the scriptures, it matters. It's transformative in our life. But it matters when spoken into the life of community, into the life of connection. What we need is not just another group where we can hear teaching. What we need is a group of brothers and sisters that we can stand in the foxhole with, shoulder to shoulder, arm in arm, who will have our back and whose back we can have for them. That's how Jesus has loved us. So you see, the responsibility that we have if we're gonna emulate Christ is to love one another up close. The second thing that I think that we see is that we are to love one another through pain. We're to love one another through pain. Now I want you to check this out, especially in verse 13. I think you probably could make a case for most of the uh, attributes that were to put on in verse 12, most of the virtues that were supposed to put on in verse 12. But I think you can see this especially true in verse 13. Look at what it says. It says, Bearing with one another. If, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you all must, must also forgive. Now, what do those things imply? Those things imply that they're not getting, around, getting along just perfectly, don't they? Those things imply that there's problems in these relationships. That these relationships, though they are kingdom relationships, though they've been brought together by the gospel, though they are the outflow of their relationship with God, that these relationships are still flawed. You see, wherever you bring sinners together in close proximity, those sinners will step all over each other. It's just what they do. Those sinners will, will come together and they will have problems. You put them in a marriage, they're going to step all over each other. You, you put them, you, you go, you send a hundred teenagers down to camp and all of them can love Jesus. And you know what happens at camp? Conflict. Conflict happens at camp. 
We can take all of you on a retreat. Some of the most mature Christians we have. And by the time you get to your room every night, you're like, I am so tired of hearing this person talk about this, right? Because you put, you put sinners together and they hurt each other. Sinners are dramatic. We're easily offended. We're offensive. We say hurtful things. We're self-centered. We, 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 we're uh, neglectful of relationships. We're hypocritical. We're dramatic. You take all of those things and you put them together and then you multiply, in our case, by 350. <laughs> and guess what happens? Hurt happens. Pain happens. And that's why some of you, you've decided, you, you, I'm going to do church at a distance. I'm going to do church at arm's length because I've been hurt before. I'm, I'm tired of being hurt. I'm tired of drama. I don't want to deal with drama. I, I, I'm tired of dealing with, with people who think they're better than they're not. I'm tired of, of dealing with hypocrisy. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to come in, I'm going to sit on the back row, and I'm going to hold the church at arm's length. You know what you're saying? I'm unwilling to love the church the way God has loved me. I'm unwilling to love my brothers and sisters as I have been loved because guess what? All of those things that you dislike about others, all of those things that has brought harm and hurt into your life, those things are true about you. And God loves you. And God has saved you. And God has forgiven you. And I bet God's not the only one. I bet others have loved you. And others have forgiven you. And others have put up with you. When, when God came and he dwelt among us, do you know what happened when he came here? We crucified him. We threw rocks at him. We spat upon him. We ripped the beard out of his face. We, we denied him. We rejected him. And then we crucified him. The way that God has loved us is through pain. Through pain. God has painfully loved us. And now if we are to emulate that pattern in our lives, we must love one another painfully so. Now, one of the things that's interesting here is he doesn't talk to the person that does the hurting. Do you notice that? He talks to the person that's been hurt in, in every case. He talks to the person and he says, not the person that's exhausting, that, that, that's doing things that are exhausting your patient, but the person that's, whose patience has been tried. Be patient. Not the person who is, who is, who is being faithful and honored, but the person who's, who's being tested. Not the person who's doing the testing, right? Be patient with them. Be, be long-suffering with them. Be enduring with them. Be, be, for, uh, be bearing with them. Not the person that did what the, the offense that needs forgiving, but the person that's been wounded. The person that's been hurt. Now, why would he talk specifically to the victim, we might say, in that way? Why would he talk to the victim? Because it's the victim who's in the best position to represent the glory of Christ. It's the victim who is best positioned to, to show a pattern of how God has loved us. What position have we as sinners perpetually put God in? We have perpetually put God in a position of patience. We have perpetually put God in a position of bearing with us, of long-suffering. We have perpetually put God in a position of forgiveness. And so when we are in that position, we have an option. We can see this as an excuse. I've been hurt. I've been wounded. 
I, I, I am unable to, uh, to even cope with what, I, I'm tired of drama and I'm tired of hypocrisy and I'm tired of people uh, underestimating me or, or dismissing me. I'm tired of being on the outside looking in. I, I'm tired of being disconnected. I, I'm tired of all of that. And so, so I, I'm going to just back down. I'm just going to either leave and go find some church that's not like this or I'm going to come and I'm going to sit quietly on the back and then I'm going to leave and nobody's even going to know that I was there but, that, but that's just going to be my way. We can use it as an excuse to justify our lack of love in response or, or, or we can use it as an opportunity. We can use it as an opportunity to display back what it looks like for God to love us. We can use it as an opportunity to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit in real life, to love one another in real life. It doesn't mean that your pain is invalid. Understand that. It doesn't mean that someone hasn't sincerely and genuinely hurt, hurt you. I'm not saying that. The hurt that we brought into the life of Jesus Christ was real. It was valid. It was, it was tangible. It was apparent. But what I'm saying is, is that the more real and valid the pain is in your life, the more real and valid the opportunity is for you to display and demonstrate the love of our God back toward them. Church, can we... This, this morning come together and say, look, we're going to do this. We're going to get close enough to one another where we can hurt each other. That's, that's what connection looks like. Love hurts, y'all. If you've been married, you know that. Love hurts. Love is painful. There's nothing that can wound you like love does. But can we just say, as Iron City Baptist Church, we're not going to be perfect, and we know that. We're not going to aim at being hypocritical, but we know that we are. We're not going to aim at being dramatic, but we know that we are. We're not going to aim at being hyper-emotional and preferential and self-interested, but all of those realities are going to be true. But what we're going to resolve to do is by the pattern established for us in Jesus Christ, we're going to aim to love one another through all of those things, that we're going to get close enough to each other, have relationships with one another enough that we can actually hurt each other. Because that kind of love is real. That kind of love is not just imaginary. It's not just projected. It's the real thing. The final way that I want you to see that God loves us is that God loves us to the end. I have in mind patience from verse 12, but I also have in mind here bearing with one another. Bearing with one another. That's to the end, right? Don't quit. Don't pull up. Don't stop. Jesus didn't pull up when the world rejected him. Jesus didn't stop when the world rejected him. In fact, Jesus didn't stop when he was hanging on the cross and he said, I can call down legions of angels that will wipe you from the earth. No, Jesus hung there until the end, until he could say, it is finished. It is finished. And not only that, you know what? Jesus says, I am still here. I am still for you. I am still with you. I am still supporting you. I am still empowering you this very day. I will not betray you. I will not forsake you. I will be with you every step, every hardship, everything that you face. There's a lot of quit in us these days. There's a lot of quit in us these days. You know, there's, there's three primary covenant relationships that we have on this earth. Three pri if you're a believer in Jesus, there are three covenant relationships. That is, relationships that you enter into asking for the approval of God asking for the seal of God upon you. First of all, it's our relationship with Jesus in the new covenant, right? 
that, that we come to Christ and we say, Christ, I covenant to be your son. I, I want to be with you. And so, Lord, I, I, I receive your grace. I place my faith and my confidence in you and in you alone. The second covenant that we have is our marital covenant. Where we enter in and we say, before God, until death do I part, I am your husband. I am your wife. And then thirdly, we have the church covenant. Where we enter in and we say, I am going to join in with what this body is doing to advance the kingdom of God. And what's interesting is as life gets hard, as things don't go according to plan, what are the first three relationships we back down from? What are the first three relationships we typically quit and think it'll change our lives? Those three significant covenant relationships. You see, we've bought into the idea of what Hollywood is selling us. Hollywood sells us on, on uh, fairy tale romance, doesn't it? Hollywood says that you come together and your heart flutters and you fall head over heels and you go through some stuff, but, but going through some stuff, you fall even more head over heels and there's not all the responsibility and there's not all the, and then you, you enter into a relationship and you think that it's all about this fairy tale world that you've lived, entered into and what happens is, is your husband makes you cry. And your wife, she drives you crazy and she overwhelms you. And you thought, this isn't what I signed up for. This isn't what I've seen. This isn't what I was looking for. And you bail. That's not love. That's not love. Love presses through those things. In fact, love leans into those things. I won't even marry a couple, perform a wedding for a couple, unless they agree to take divorce off the table from the beginning. But because love is intended to endure until the end. And we take that same line of thinking and we bring it into the life of the church. And we think that I, I found drama there, I found hypocrisy there, there, I found offense there, I found hurt there. And so I'm going somewhere else. I'm out. But here's what I'm asking, Iron City. Here's what I'm asking. Rather than withdrawing, rather than checking out, I know some of you are hurt. I'm sure you, I'm sure you are. I know some of you are offended. I know some of you are on the edge of, of throwing up your hands. Here's what I'm asking. I'm asking, rather than, than checking out, let's lean in together. Let's lean in together and let's establish a healthier culture. Let's establish a, a, a more Jesus-centered form of love here. Let's, let's lean in instead of leaning out and, and withdrawing. Let's lean in and make more connections. Let's invite people out to lunch. Let's have people over to our homes. Let's, let's go together and say, hey, would it be okay if we just met and prayed together? Can I just take you to breakfast? I just need a friend. I just need to hang out with somebody. Let's, let's lean into our connections and lean into the source of that hurt and source of that pain and Watch as the gospel begins to transform the culture around us. Church, I believe that God is doing something great among us. And, and we have every excuse in the wor world to just let it all become out of sight and out of mind. But instead, instead, can we put on the clothes of Jesus Christ and lean into the relationship that God has established Let's pray to the Lord together this morning. Thank you for watching or listening to one of our sermons. We would love to have the opportunity to connect with you one-on-one. -on -one. We are not a perfect church, but we are a joyful church, and we want to help you increase your joy in Christ. We would love for you to come and worship with us one day soon. 
You'll be able to find information about our worship services, about who we are, what we believe, what we do, and what we're hoping to accomplish on our website at ironcity.org. And we would invite you to go and to check out all the information there. We look forward to seeing you soon.